So, Bob, I have a bunch of emails here, and let's answer them. What do you say, Bob? Let's answer them. Anonymous patron, they write in and say, disorganized attachment, is it equivalent to freeze, as in fight or flight, freeze or appease? It occurred to me that other people may experience my preoccupied attachment style as fight, avoidant as flight, and by implication, disorganized as freeze. I say this completely recognizing Bob's idea of being caught between bases at risk of being tagged. Did you use that analogy before, Bob? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, What do you think that means to, to you or to them? I think it means you don't have a strategy. Yeah. Tell me more. Um, I can't, I don't attack, so I can't run to second. I, and I can't go back to first, which is, I guess is uh, um, running away. Run away. So I'm kind of stuck waiting to get tagged in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what they're saying is if you run towards second, you'll get tagged. Yeah. If you run back to first, you'll get tagged. Right. So you just sort of freeze, freeze. because you're ter- you don't know what you, to do. Yeah. Is that what it feels I, like? I think that's, yeah. Yeah, I remember a time I was standing in my dining room. We were in the middle of, I don't even know, some kind of conflict. With your wife. Yeah, with Colleen, yeah. And I was just felt like stunned and just looking at the table and sort of aware of everything going on around me and aware that I'm completely unresponsive right now and sort of, uh, you know, um, just checked out emotionally and... um not quite dissociating no, not in a quite. clinical sense. But. Yeah. So, and then I remember another time, same thing happened. And what I did is I went to my freezer and I got a flexi ice pack out, shoved it on my face and held my breath for 30 seconds. Cause it's a way to, um, help your body calm down. Oh. And, uh, it was a game changer. Yeah. Like I sort of, you teach that in your DBT. Yeah. Say that again. So, so what you do is you, you get a, bag of frozen corn or a flexi ice pack, or you can get a bowl and fill it with ice water. It's big enough to fit your face and you hold your breath and you dunk your face in the ice water, or you take the frozen corn and you, you hold your breath and you get it over your eyelids and it's cold and wet and it activates the body's dive reflex, which is, you know, the world record for holding your breath is like 13 minutes. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, but what happens is when, when mammals dive underwater their bodies aren't getting air, so they want to survive, and so they slow everything down. All the metabolism just slows down. Everything slows down, and um, then you can, you know, conserve energy and um, survive longer. Hmm. And this, this is plays into a lot of people's attestation to cold showers or cold yeah. swims, yep. that kind of thing. That kind of thing. Huh. The one caution is, if you have a cardiac problem, you shouldn't do it. Yeah. What what constitutes a cardiac problem? Like your doctor like says. Your doctor says you have a heart problem or you know you have a heart problem. Yeah. You should you should not do it or you should talk to your whoever your medical person is. Yeah. Um before you do it so that you, you know, cuz it it slows your heart rate fast and for folks with cardiac problems that can induce a heart attack. Is it in your teaching do you talk about the parasympathetic nervous system? That and I don't know a whole lot about that, but I talk about it enough to yeah to highlight that that's what's happening. Yeah, is it's turning on. And could you just do this prophylactically, so to speak? Like, yeah, I think I might be a little stressed out right now. Yeah, go to the freezer. Yep. So you put it on your eyes. You got to get your eyes. Got to get your your like your eyeballs. Your eyeballs. Yeah. Now you don't have to have your eyes open, but you got to get your lids cold and wet. Your lids. Yeah, your eyelids. Cold, yeah, your eyes will be like cold that. and wet. Cold and wet. Yeah. 
cold and wet. And like, you know, like condensation. Waterboarding yourself, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting, you know, because that's a thing. Cold compress, yeah. right? People swear by, right? You know, to try to reduce the bags. I wonder if they're getting a secondary benefit that they don't register. You know, they used to wrap people in cold, wet sheets in the um, insane asylums. Insane asylums, right? Yeah, yeah. Huh. And they use it at in pediatric. Uh, in ERs for when babies come in because they have some kind of thing, they'll actually take a baggie full of ice water and they'll just gently roll it over the kid's face and get their eyes and their nose to um, uh, help the child settle. Hmm. Yeah. Is it something, again, is it something, because I'm thinking, well, that might be kind of nice yeah. just to once a day just sort of yeah. take a minute, yeah, do that. Yeah, why not? Um, it, the, I've noticed that the effect lasts about 10, 15 minutes, but it's a reflex. You can do it as much as you want and it doesn't wear out. doesn't wear out. I know a guy, I know a story about a guy who got through medical school with a bowl of ice water next to his desk. And every time he was freaking out about how much he had to learn, he'd just shove his face in, <laughs> towel off and get back I don't know. The that, that visual makes me laugh. I know. Just like, yeah. uh, you know, he's, he's at his desk and all yeah. of a sudden he thinks, oh shit, I got a quiz. And then yeah. dunk, dunk, you know, splash. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty funny. That's great. Um, yeah. So going on with their email, right? Um, does this help in any way with distinguishing disorganized from preoccupied and avoidant? Meaning that, yeah, uh, disorganized is freeze, yeah. preoccupied is fight, and avoidant is flight. Perhaps moving between the two without occupying one middle ground of being simply disorganized in the sense of both at once confused. So what do you think in terms of the fight, flight, freeze? Yeah. You know? I, I don't know that there's any clinical whatever, but that's I've had that thought many times that Oh yeah. That um that what I do when I freeze is I'm just locked in the Yeah. Yeah. What about when people exhibit preoccupied, do you think does that fit with fight? Yeah. 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 That, um that fit as I agree yeah. uh, with you, Bob, and Anonymous Patron, that it might be a helpful analogy. However, I would say it's not a direct correlation no. all the time. No. I mean, disorganized people can certainly fight yep. and flight. And flight. Uh, preoccupied people can freeze. Yep. Certainly avoidant people can fight sometimes. Yep. It's not like avoidant people never, oh, no, never they, fight. It can be very fighty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, I think as a, a overall... Um, I don't know, or heuristic something. or something. Yeah. I think it, it's fine. But the general idea is good in that tying attachment reactivity to right. our fear response is true. Yeah. We know that, yeah. that that's, you know, in the, uh, and evolutionary wise, that's the most compelling model for me is that when we were non-social creatures, we had a fight, flight, freeze, appease, faint response for survival that was, you know, evolved into us. We're um, an isolated, um, I don't know what was in between lizards and mammals, whatever that thing was. And it's not very social uh, animal living in a hole somewhere. And mm -hmm. a snake comes out of nowhere. You either fight or flight or, you know, or, or faint to mm -hmm. say, you know, cause fainting it's the idea is, is we evolved that to um, trick predators and are thinking we're dead, we're dead and they don't like to eat dead things. They want to eat live things, <laughs> you know, dead things. It kicks in an instinct for them. Like it could be rotten, rotten. carrion of some kind. And, yeah. and of course 
it's not true. It, it just flopped in front of you, but it, it like tricks yeah. the, the predator because they're not very smart. And, and or you're so still that they can't see you because yeah. you're not shivering yeah. in a bush somewhere and right. alerting the predator to where you're at. They track on movement. Right. And so the uh, we evolved that. And then when we became social creatures, ever so slowly, you know, over millennia, millions of years, we we co-opted that uh, physical danger system to our social danger system that when we needed to, um, you know, those people who confused, shall we say, or associated is a better word, social distance or rejection or ostracization, those people who, who associated that with actual danger, like falling off a cliff or being eaten by a leopard, survived longer because dependency and interdependency and and helping each other out and physical proximity and all that all the goodies that come from our attachment uh lifestyle as humans and as social primates would be facilitated and so when we are in a fight with someone particularly if we have relational traumas in the past that system kicks in the same system that would kick in if a leopard were chasing you and you felt like you had no way out, you know, you're in a, a tight corner and there's nowhere to run. An instinct for you would be to freeze. Just be like, if, if I just stay still, nothing, they'll just go away. And you might even say, I need to run. And you can't, you know, frozen with fear, this kind of stuff. Yeah. When your spouse is, giving signals that they don't like you and they're going to reject you and they're emotionally distant or something, the same exact physiological process yeah. happens. Right. Right. So the body treats it like life and death. Right. And the pain and the fear and all that is, uh, you know, it's been co-opted. We are, as we were evolving, we just adopted that whole useful system, but applied it to social life, right. you know, which makes our social life both, glorious and terrifying uh similar to a, a leopard that's about to eat us you know i like this recognition because um when people have a failure in empathy they don't understand the other they could actually learn something like like to the body this is life and death mm -hmm. you know and so when we get dismissive of our partner you know you if you if you come to this idea that my partner's body's in fight or flight and they're treating this like life and death um Imagine that. Imagine recognizing that in a partner and what it would do to your sense of care and empathy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people shame themselves primarily. Right. Yeah. And, you know, right. I don't know what the big deal is. I, I'm, I, I get so reactive. Right. It's like, well, you yeah. know, we evolved that way. Yeah. <laughs> Yell at evolution if you want someone to blame. <laughs> it's Darwin's fault. Yeah. Anonymous annual patron says, my therapist said I could have borderline personality disorder. I, I could do borderline personality disorder work with another therapist and that we would take a break to my understanding there are therapists out there who won't take in borderline personality disorder clients because of the amount of work it can come with and the countertransference assuming i do have borderline personality disorder it is wise to disclose is it wise to disclose this when interviewing one of my future therapists 
Are there any questions that both of you would suggest me asking while I look for a new therapist? For the record, this is a hard situation to adjust to, but my therapist isn't here to defend themselves or offer their perspective. This is all very recent, and I do wish them the best, my therapist. They also said they would gladly refer me to one of their colleagues, and I may take them up on that. End of email. Bob, what do you think? Well, um, I I don't know. Um, I guess here's what I think. Therapists have a prejudice against borderline personality disorder, and so the diagnosis itself can set somebody's fight-or-flight response off, even if this is what they do for a living. And, right. Um, even though they literally get paid to help people with their psychological problems. But Yeah, right. But, right. I'm, we but can, I'm clearly biased. Yeah. We, we, could, we could be frustrated about that. So you, you do have the possibility of talking about it clinically, or you could also talk about it, um, you know, empirically, like here's what happens for me or here's why I'm in therapy. So you could think about if you wanted to, well, when they say borderline personality disorder, what the hell are they talking about? You can look up the criteria. There are nine of them and, uh, and think about how each one relates to you. Like, Oh, okay. Um, um, what's the idealization of the other, right? That's one of the things, right. Or, and a devaluation of self. If that's true for you, you could talk about how that happens in, you know, your relationship with your mother or whatever, or, um, um, you know, you could talk about symptoms of borderline personality disorder whatever, without ever talking about borderline personality disorder. You could do that if you, but I don't like the idea that you have to tiptoe around it simply no. because some therapist has a prejudice against probably good to get that card on the table right off the bat. Cause if they do, then they're not your person anyways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Anonymous annual patron, tell your next therapist. I have borderline personality disorder. If it scares them away, then good effing riddance. Um, now, it's fine if if people have tried and they're like, yeah, it's just not really my thing. You know, for me, for example, I don't treat people with eating disorders anymore. I used to. So I recognize that sometimes it's a professional choice that you make. You know, and I've talked about this before, but the reason why I don't treat people with, I used to specialize in people with eating disorders. I, I, uh, you know, had, I don't know, 10%, 20% of my clients were in, you know, on some spectrum and, and probably half of them were, had full blown eating disorder, uh, eating disorders. And they, you know, they're pretty involved you know, it's a pretty involved, it's not like having minor anxiety or minor depression or even just depression, you know, and that's why eventually I, I stopped um, not only not specializing, but also not accepting clients with eating disorders because it was so involved, you know, to be, to be a good enough therapist for someone who is, you know, has moderate to severe eating disorder, you have to coordinate with doctors and parents or significant others or, uh, and dietitians and uh, friends maybe, you have to have whole or maybe even a day treatment center, inpatient treatment center. You know, there's so many things that you have to do to be a, an effective treatment team to someone with an eating disorder that I, at some point, just said, I, uh, I'm i at the point in my career where I just, I, I, I did it for a while, maybe 10 years. And, and then I said, I, 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 I want to focus on other kinds of clients, I guess. So there are you know, myself included, but my, 
anger is that so many people will accept clients that they don't want to work with and then midstream say, oh, I don't work with that. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, but you need to tell them that before you engage. (laughs) You need to screen them. And as a clinician, you have to understand that not everyone knows they have borderline, so you have to screen them knowing that they don't even know they have borderline. You can't say, do you have borderline? You just have to, you have to have other ways of screening people. And there are ways of screening. There are measures, you know, symptom measures that you could give that would probably triangulate to a borderline future diagnosis. You know, there's certain personality sort of screeners that you can give someone and, and say, I really need you to answer these honestly because there are certain things that I don't treat. And so I need you to be, you know, real clear. Um, so there's that. And... The other thing is, is that those people who specialize in borderline are more than happy, you know, to work like myself. If someone said to me, uh, I want to work with you, I have borderline, I'd be like, well, you're at the right person because I've treated a lot of people with borderline. I've spent a lot of time thinking about how to do that. And then the other thing you ask is, you know, are there any questions that we, that you would suggest? What, what would you say, Bob? Um, Well, uh, some folks with borderline personality disorder have um, trouble with suicide and self-harm impulses. I'd want to find out what is the therapist's general responsiveness outside of the clinical hour. Some therapists um, make themselves available. Others do not. Um, if you're a person that has um, suicide crisis, probably not going to take place during therapy hours. You're going to want to know um, how much you can count on um, your therapist to be around for you or to support you through it. Should that, should that happen? Um, I'll have to think about it some more. What, I don't know. That's all I got to say right this second. I'll just keep thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, ask, I would just ask, how do you treat borderline? And if the answer seems uh, inviting, then I would go, go for it. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'll say is it's a crime that clients, have to search so long and hard and, and might still, because, you know, we tell this patron, find a specialist. There's a chance they won't even be able to find one (laughs) or at least a competent specialist. And it's a crime that we put people in that position. Like there are ways around this, you know, when you have something wrong with your foot, there are foot doctors. You don't have to hope, you don't have to call every doctor in town hoping that one, someone will specialize in feet, and two, that when they say they specialize in feet, they actually do competently specialize in feet. You know, like, you you just bank. Like, well, you know, I trust the medical system, and so I I, I assume if they call themselves a foot specialist, then then they are. You know, barring some uh, anomalies, but in our field, like, there's a chance that this person will never be able to find someone that can effectively, even though they're out there, you know, those people are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's just ridiculous. And I attribute it to this culture of uh, not wanting to work with technology and, and not wanting, cause it's, there's a technological and many people have, I've even had people on the podcast who have suggest, you know, who have started to launch these things. It would not be that hard to create a national database of literally every single therapist, regardless of where they're working, and a sort of Wikipedia format to their specialties and their trainings and, you know, if they're available to take clients. You know, it, it, 
it would be simple you know uh you could even say the government could pay for it and you wouldn't even have to pay for it as a provider or any it would not be hard <laughs> and yet and there are you know isolated movements but to this point we only have psychology today which is a magazine our best database for our industry is a freaking magazine full of incredibly pseudoscientific articles, by the way. Mm-hmm. And and it costs every uh, practitioner, like, I think 30 bucks a month or something, yeah, which is absurd. Like, that, it does. it's not worth, I mean, it's worth because you can get clients, but the amount of money Psychology Today spends on that, you know, service has got to be pennies per person. Yeah. Uh, so $30 does not match what psychology today is spending on it, you know? Yeah. Uh, anyway, so it's just a really sad kind of situation that I feel bad for people. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, if, if they're, if the person is looking for dialectical behavior therapy, you could go to, um, uh, Linehan, Linehan Institute. They have, they certify, DBT people, so that's a possibility, and chances are you'll find somebody there. Um, the folks, they, they're, that's a pretty rigorous certification process. And another possibility is an um, organization called Behavioral Tech. They train people in DBT, so they may know people in your area that even if they're not certified, they have some, um, at least some training. Yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, DBT therapists, at the very least, are going to be able to tackle a good portion of what might be helpful to you. Yeah. And, or they also will be the sort of therapist me and Bob are, where we can provide relational ongoing long-term therapy for corrective experiences and, or they'll know someone that does that. So that's a great idea. Yeah. The other thing here that the patron says at the end is, um, for the record, this is a hard situation to adjust to, but my therapist is, isn't here to defend themselves. Um, or offer their perspective. I'm quite positive the patron said that because they they knew that I was going to go off on the therapist uh, <laughs> and they're being preemptively protective of them, which which I get, you yeah. know, totally. And yep. again, uh, we, I, you know, I think we try to say that every time. You know, they're not here. If they were here, maybe there would be some kind of... But when you hear this story over yeah. and over again, I and I've seen colleagues who will do this kind of thing, they'll just be like, oh... Yeah, you know, she's got borderline. It'll be a year and a half in. It'll be like, oh, yeah, she's totally borderline, and she's black and whiting me right now, and so I, I've got to fire her because this is ridiculous. And, I I mean, I'm maybe yeah, exaggerating a little bit, but it's that kind of thing. And I'm like, why did you become a therapist? <laughs> you know, did you think that all your clients were going to be like walks in the park? Like, did did no one alert you to the fact that some clients are going to actually have psychological issues? I, I just don't understand. You know, the ER doctor doesn't go like, whoa, 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 gunshot wound. That's too much for me. Get out of this hospital. You know, it, it's, it's this attitude of this is inconvenient to me. And I don't, you know, do you think the ER doctor doesn't, recognize the inconvenience you know they were probably taking a break and now there's a gunshot wound showing up in their uh you know emergency room they're inconvenienced and yes it's going to be hard and you know they might have to actually work and they might have some feelings about it they might they might be kind of 
There might be a lot of blood. It might be kind of scary. It might, they might even risk getting sued because if they mess it up, right, if someone could die. ER doctors don't turn around and walk the other way. <laughs> Having said that, I turn around and walk the other way when it comes to eating disorders, not because they displease me, but because I did not want to spend five to 10 hours with every single one of my clients the way that I used to, you know, every week, the way I just couldn't afford that kind of work. You know what I mean? And so, so, you know, I see both sides, I guess. Anyway, um, let's take a break. Let's reset. So I, so I can get out of this funk, Bob, and when we return more emails, what do you say? Yep. All right. We're back from the break. Annual patron Patrick from Portland, Oregon says, I am preoccupied with low self-esteem. My therapist is focusing on EMDR and DBT. The focus on mindfulness really helped me at first, but I feel like I'm hitting a wall. Is this the right therapy focus for me? My mom died when I was 18 months and I struggled with low self-esteem and preoccupied in my relationships. I really feel like I need to dive deeper into my childhood and open doors to some of the injuries I suffered as a child. But my current therapist focuses mostly on breathing and mindfulness, which I appreciate, but I am wondering, should I be focusing more on talking through my past? Bob, what do you think? I don't know if you should talk through your past. Maybe it sounds like that's what you want to do though. So you got something to talk about, your frustration with how therapy's going. That's always a good thing to talk about when it's there. Um, If I'm hearing right, and I might be getting this wrong, what I hear you describing, though, is that you use some mindfulness practices as a distractor from whatever the present moment is. And um, I believe in distraction. I think that definitely has a place. But as mindfulness, as I understand it, is about going within to actually learn to accept and work with what is. And so the thing, I don't know if you need to talk about your past. It might be interesting and it might be worthwhile, but I wonder what's happening in the present when you find yourself focused on the past. What happens for you like in the middle of a session, say, when you want to talk about your mom and, or listen to me, when you want to talk about your past um, and, I, oh, just the thought that just occurred to me is maybe you really wish to be seen and heard. I don't know. But I don't, I, I don't have anything more to say. <laughs> okay, I'm not doing so well today, am I? <laughs> no, I get it. Uh, there's a repertoire, podcasting-wise, to wrapping things up, because it's such a weird communicative space. Yeah. Because in conversation, there's there are certain routines, certain signals, like, yeah. I'm at the end of my thought now, yeah. and then the other person picks up. In podcasting, there's a, there's this whole other thing where you have to literally. I do this sometimes. I'll be like, and that's all I have to say about that. You know, right. it, it it sounds kind of funny, but it reminds me of Big Little Big Man. Do you remember that movie? Oh, I love that film. Yeah, with Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, and the Indian chief, mm-hmm. American Indian chief, would frequently, if I remember right, he would end. Do you remember what he would say? I don't remember. I I think it was that movie. At the end, and it was just a hilarious character. I just remember, yeah. he, I remember I'd watch that movie with yeah. my family, and I remember my dad in particular thought that Chief was so funny. Like, yeah. that moment where he's like, you know, um, I, I forget what he calls Little Big Man, or he calls him Little Big Man, Dustin Hoffman. And Little Big Man, I'm, 
I'm about to die, so you need to bring me to where we lay my ancestors at the top of the hill. And Dustin Hoffman is like, oh, but I don't, I don't want you to die. He's like, it is my time. You must bring me to the top. They get to the top yeah. of the mountain and lays them down. And they're, you know, they have this long talk. And he's like, okay, it is now my time to die. And he closes his eyes and he's look, you know, his face is at the sky. And then yeah. all of a sudden it starts raining. raining. And Dustin Hoffman is like, oh, my God, he died. And then he starts to flinch with the raindrops. <laughs> and, the, the, you know, the, the old man sits up and says, I guess it's not my time to die. Let's go. Let's go back down to the bottom of the mountain. You know, and I don't know. Just, he delivers it. The, the actor delivers it, and Dustin Hoffman as yeah. well. But mainly the guy, the, the American Indian. Yeah. He delivers it with just, just such a comedic, yeah. deadpan, just hilariousness. Right. <laughs> just anyway. Um, what was I? Why did I even bring that up? So podcast repertoire, how oh, to move on to the... Right. So I think he would say something at the end of his statements. He'd, right. he'd say like, and that is what I have to say about that. Right. It's sort of like when Mandalorian... Did you watch Mandalorian? Yeah. That uh, character played by... Um, what's his face? <laughs> the guy that rode that thing and you'd say... And that's how, anyway, my point is, is that in podcasting. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. I remember that guy. Yeah. yeah he said something and, and that is yeah, what yeah. I have to say about that. Right, yeah. And that is all I have to say about that. Yeah. That kind of, anyway. Um, what I'll say about that, Patrick from Portland is that EMDR is great. DBT is great. Mindfulness is great. And there are some practitioners that, you know, that's all they want to do and, and, or that's all they think is going to help. And for you, Patrick, you're like, I want to talk about my childhood, and I, you know, I don't. I feel like it will be helpful. And your therapist is uh, just not oriented that way. And obviously, you can talk with them, as Bob says, and say, I want to talk about my childhood. Can we do that? And if your therapist is like, eh, it's not really my angle, or I think these other things would be more helpful, or whatever, or when you do talk about the past, they don't seem to be as interested or ask the questions that you want. You can certainly just try to work it out with your current therapist, but there's nothing wrong with finding an adjunct therapist, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a secondary therapist, or maybe even just taking a break from your current therapist, talking to another therapist that focuses on that. There could be a lot of good things that happen Uh, for some clients. It's not a matter of like, well, I'm going to uncover the unconscious the way that it used to be thought of. For many clients, it's grief. It's just, I've never grieved what I went through. No one ever gave me a venue to just talk about what happened to me. And I feel like I, I have to do that. And I, and therapy seems like a great place to do it. Patrick wants to talk to his therapist. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, patron Trisha from Anchorage. You ever been to Alaska? No. I'm going this summer. Really? You taking that ferry ride up the Inside Passage? Uh, is it a ferry ride? I don't know. It's a boat. Um, I don't. I don't know if it's a ferry, hmm. but it's a it's a boat <laughs> that you sleep in, and then we're going up not to Anchorage, but to Juneau. And uh, I think it's it's. I'm really looking forward to it. It's a lot of hiking and yeah, yeah, a lot of nature and stuff. Anyway. Uh, and it's funny because, you know, we end in Juneau and then you fly back to Seattle from Juneau. Right. And so I'm like, well, I'm in Juneau. Might as well check out the town. 
And so I started asking around, like, what's there to do in Juno? And, you know, the gestalt basically is there's nothing to do in Juno. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, other than more hiking and, mm-hmm. and snowshoeing or whatever. But, uh, my, but, you know, you think you got Anchorage, you got Juno, and Juno is the capital, I believe. Yeah. So you think, well, it's got to be like a city city in it. And from my impression is that it's like if that if Juno was in, in Washington, you wouldn't even know the name of Juno because it would be oh, that small. Small, that you know small I mean? town. Yeah. yeah. So it just tells you the isolation that Alaska provides. Anyway, I don't even know if any of that's true. But patron Trisha from Anchorage says, is there a certification available for attachment theory? I am a pre-licensed therapist and would love to have a deeper understanding of this particular theoretical framework. Is there a certification available for attachment theory as for a therapist? Bob, what do you think? I don't know. Yeah, I only know of one. It is a certification in attachment-focused treatment at the Attachment-Focused Treatment Institute in Williamsville, New York. I can't attest to the quality of that certification process, but that's the only one that I know of. Um, There are many trainings, though, obviously, Mm -hmm. that don't involve becoming certification you, you know anyone can i could say i'll i certify you yeah, in yeah. kirk honda brand therapy sure so certification doesn't mean anything no. it just means that a, an organization has developed a curriculum and and has an official organization level certification process which is to say they self-appoint yeah so uh you know buyer beware yeah uh but uh in terms of you know if 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 someone and i people often ask me this question my trainees are like i want to know more about attachment theory and how to use it in therapy and i'm really intrigued you know i'd I'd first read attachment psychotherapy by wallen one and really read it like literally 50 times because it's so dense and there's so much wisdom in it and it really reflects for the most part how i feel about all form of therapy using attachment and humans anyway um so att- attachment psychotherapy by Wallen. Wow, are you actually recommending a book? Yeah, it's such a great book, though. Like sometimes I'll just pick it up and read like a paragraph, and I'll be like, "Oh, it's just he puts it so well mm-hmm. and, it, and it's so thorough," mm-hmm. you know. Um, so there's that, but it, that would just be a starting point. The path that I took is I just studied the fuck out of it, <laughs> you know, and talked about it and wrote papers about it and applied it and read more and thought more and thought about myself, you know, my uh, clinical ability using attachment theory, I would say 0.1% of that came from outside of me, you know, outside in terms of like absorbing a lecture Mm -hmm. or a book, even really it, it came from me taking things in and then really kind of wrestling with it. You know, I have this luxury of one podcasting about attachment theory almost every week. (laughs) So that every week and uh, recently, um, you know, so every weekend we publish a couple uh, reruns and occasionally I'll, I'll listen to them just to be like, what was that episode even about? And I can hear my, the evolution of my understanding of attachment theory. You know, I'll listen to an episode from five years ago and, you know, I had a, I had a okay grasp on it, but not like I do today. And so how did I get there? Well, I spent the time and podcasted and taught it, taught it and 
applied it and thought about it and read more. And, you know, it, it, that's what I would recommend if someone wants to master something. Well, since they're probably in supervision, how about an attachment-based supervisor? Right. Anonymous patron, she says, Hey, Kirk, I appreciated your response to my email about my daughter. I spent this past summer with my mom, and oof, it brought up a lot, LOL. I bought two copies of the Attachment Theory book by Annie Chen and sent her one before I got there, sent one to my mom before I hung out with my mom. But my mom never looked at it. Hmm. We got into a lot of arguments, and she eventually asked why I couldn't forgive her and why I was so full of anger at her. It was hard for me to stay calm in that conversation, but I did try to explain why her neglect and parentification of me as her little confidant amid her abusive romantic relationships had been so hurtful. It was like talking to a five-year-old, though. I want us to be close, but her willful, willful ignorance is infuriating. I feel guilty because she really doesn't understand, and it is akin to being angry at a child. I suggested we go to therapy together, but she refused. I guess the short answer would be for me to explore it, this in therapy. But in the meantime, I'm unsure whether it's helpful or harmful to her to explain why I'm hurt. It seems to just send her into despair, and I end up comforting her. And we're just replaying that pattern that I can't stand of parentification. And I get to feel, I get to feel superior and self-righteous and identify with the abuser, but I'm ultimately unfulfilled. Bob, what do you think? Yeah, right. Well, um, because, you know, you've been down this road uh with your dad Mm -hmm. before he died. Mm, No. um, But the desire to, like, uh, well, you know, don't only put experiences in your head, but but this feeling of that the... uh, honest patron is is talking about is my mom mistreated me yeah and I, i'm still connected with her right and i want her to understand what she put me through right but she always decompensates and then i end up yeah. having to take care of her right. and i'm and i'm in this loop you know yeah definitely in the loop and i'm i'm chasing something definitely chasing so can you relate to that at all yeah i gave it up you get what was it like when you were chasing what were you doing i would i would seek my parents' approval by dropping little information bombs on them um, and often feeling disappointed by their response. Like, hey, I graduated from Antioch University and I got a master's degree and I'm doing pretty good. It's my job. You know, people respect me and think I'm a good therapist. Dot, yeah. dot, dot. And, yeah. then, and then they would say what? Um um, my dad would generally turn a conversation around and talk about himself, either directly or th- just sort of trying to, you know, like the listener who relates. He'd be he'd be like that. I, I was thinking about the listener who relates, and I think they're not listening at all. They're talking. Well, they can be. We've talked about this before. You're a listener. What do they say? Waits. Waits. And there are listeners who relate. Right. And... Obviously, a listener who relates can be narcissistic and not really listening. Yeah. But I think that listeners who relate can also be absolutely listening. And it's just how they listen is by relating. Because like, I'm a listener who relates. I'm, I'm kind of both, but um, I'm definitely a listener who relates. And when I have other people who also are listeners who relate, then like Birdo is a listener who relates. 
I think he's also narcissistic. He, he would say he's narcissistic. But that's not a good example. There are some other people in my life who listen by relating, and I notice that we absolutely do feel heard. Heard. You know? um, even though we're not... Um, even though we're sharing our own lives, both of us, you know what I mean? So, yeah. but you're saying that your dad would listen by relating in a narcissistic way because, I mean, so he's not really listening by relating. He's just, he's just waiting for an opportunity to talk about himself. I, you know, my view of that is skewed by my frustration. The, the, um, just to, I, I think the point I want to make is I gave up trying to have that kind of relationship so I gave up um, the urge to have repair because mm. I didn't see it going anywhere. Right. Well, I don't get to that, but I, I, I'm curious, you know, for if you're willing sure. to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, no, no. Let's keep going. Anonymous patrons sake. You're in that zone where you're still hoping. Yep. What, what was that hope? What were you hoping for? I don't know if I could have articulated it. Um, Is it in your 20s? Yeah. Um, an apology. Acknowledgement. Um, to a sense that he cares. Um, cares about what he did to you? Yeah. And and its impact. Um, um, his attention, his genuine attention, uh, or what would have felt to me like his genuine attention. Because my dad is a good man. He's not like a, you know... Psychopath. No, no. Um, but he's um, limited by the things that happened to him, just like I'm limited by the things that happened to me. Um, though I said the difference between him and me is I've had an education, uh, in this sort of thing. Um, and he, and decades of therapy, decades of therapy. And he doesn't have that. He, he could have done that, but that's not the path that he wanted to take or the path that he ended up taking. So, um, so you're hoping for acknowledgement yeah. for an apology yeah. for, him being proud of you. Yeah, I think I, I did want him to be proud of me. And, you know, I suspect he probably was proud of me, but not in a way that I experienced. Um, in a celebratory way, you wanted him. You wanted him to celebrate you. Yeah. Outwardly. Yeah, I think I would have liked, like, his interest in me. Hmm. I, I don't know what my sibs would say, but lately I've been thinking about him, and I think, I don't think he liked me very much. Like mm. we were oil and water, I think. Mm. Now my sibs might, I could imagine my brother, if he were on the podcast here, perhaps raising an objection to that, but I don't really know. Yeah. I don't really know. I mean, I think sometimes it's more likely when someone says that once we investigate that it felt that way, but yeah. not that that was like a fundamental choice that your father made at some point. Like, I don't like my son. Bob. Yeah, it's probably true. It's probably not that, he, but but probably there was a chasm between us and probably greater. So when I gave up um, the, this person's talking about the script that they find themselves falling into. I gave that up. Yeah. And the script. So prior to giving it up, are you saying it was a lot of appeasing, a lot of pleading, a lot of like accommodating? Yeah, definitely. I don't know that I um, ever didn't accommodate him, but I did. I live here. He lives lived in Philadelphia, and so there's three thousand miles between us. So our relationship really um, got a lot of contact. Small, smaller. So, what prompted you to give up? 
it's like you go to the water so many times there ain't no there ain't no go to the well so many times there ain't no water stop going to the well but the trauma for a lot of people like i think for the anonymous patron is but i need that water i i have to believe i can't accept the idea that it's not there because that's too demoralizing it's too depressing how did oh. you how did you deal with that well I think the main way that I dealt with that is I made another family. Mm. I got my Seattle family here. Um, and uh, they're like the family you choose. There's another well. There's another well. Yeah. Was it hard to make that transition? Because it's a, it's a quote-unquote giving up. When you, For me, living 3,000 miles away is sort of like, what else was I going to do? Mm. Um, so, no, I wouldn't say it was that was a hard transition. I'm thinking about, though, the way in which my attachment style and insecurities shows up in my Seattle family, like how I behave in such a way and still in this in an insecure way that I still don't talk about. Like mm-hmm. I don't I think I probably do a lot of the same things, though. The people here don't have the same responses as, mm-hmm. um, you know, the experiences I had when I was living in my, my dad's house, my mom, and dad's house. Uh, so that's a probably significant difference. Certainly there's no traumatic, there's no abuse happening right here. So that stuff doesn't get triggered. Um, I think what you're saying is your chosen family isn't without its strife regarding yeah. issues and even generating from you, but yeah, yeah, yeah. but the reaction from your chosen family isn't anything like what your it's, dad would have no, done. No, no, not like that at all. Um, and so I, so the things that happen, I don't have as nearly the same level of just uh, frustration or, or conflict yeah. with, um, with my Seattle family that I did with my, my grown up family. How would one know? Cause I'm guessing a lot of listeners are in this boat. Mm. If the well is actually dry, cause we could imagine a situation where it's like, well, you know, maybe you could turn them around. Maybe you could get them to acknowledge you, you know, because I did try. Like, but how could someone detect that if they're in in the middle of this situation? How, how are, are you well, saying like, look, if you've beat your head against the wall for a number of years, you probably should just move on. We'll give up that. I don't know saying to give up the relationship. You do that or not, but give up. um looking for water in that well yeah yeah right i don't know if i've ever and I, I don't know if i agree that it's always hopeless i'm not saying it's hopeless yeah and i and it would be hubris for me to suggest what that person should do i can only talk about what i did yeah and i remember some key i remember one one key moment uh in my early 20s when i i wrote him a letter and um, basically told him, this is what you did. And this is its impact on me. And I'm really upset. And he wrote back. Um, it was really fascinating, actually. I still have it. He wrote back. He had taken the letter I wrote him. And he had, if I remember right, he had cut it into strips and wrote little responses to each bit. Oh. And if, what I remember about his response was he said, well, I can acknowledge that the things that you wrote in your letter here are factually true. I don't know what you want me to do, which, you know, on the one hand is sort of like, 
how the hell would you not? But on the other hand, I didn't actually tell him what I wanted him to do. I don't think I had thought about what I wanted him to do. I mean, that's a lot more acknowledgement than I thought you were going to tell me what happened. What happened months later, that was when I was um, finishing up college. And then I was visiting him after I got done school. I think the summer after I was out of school and we were in the kitchen and he said, are we okay? I, that's a high demand question. And what I said to him is, I still get really angry with you. And that's kind of where we left it. I don't think he, we never tried to talk about that. Um, any of that again. I don't think my sibs talked to him about any of that. I mean, I'll tell you what you deserved was him to hug you and say, I'm sorry. Yeah. And say, I didn't know this, but when I read your account, it makes sense to me. Yeah. And I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, and these are some of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think that would be really helpful. Yeah. And um, then, you know, beyond that, if there were room for, you know, feelings around that to bubble up, because it's not like one apology. It's like, oh, okay, it's all better, and I'm never going to get upset about it any of it again. Right. I think if you're injured, the injury comes around again. And so um, I think ideally, I had a therapist a few years ago, um, someone I really respected. She was She was really cool. She told me a story. She said... When she was, when her kid was 22, she had a daughter 22, she sat her down and she said, this is what I did. This is what I feel bad about. This is what I think I did that's a problem. And I'm sorry. And uh, she told me this story. Her daughter laughed and said, mom, no, that was okay. And then there's this other thing hmm. that actually did hurt, which is really cool. I mean, wow, what a gift. Yeah. And and my therapist, I think very humble, um, accepted the feedback that she got. I'm sure it wasn't easy. I can't imagine it was easy. And apologized. I've never heard of a parent doing that. Hmm. Never. Um, it certainly didn't happen in, in my family. Why? I think... Honest to God, I think it just outmatched them. They just, for whatever reason, um, ego strength or whatever, um, they had they had to stay. My dad and my even my mom, they had to stay in a certain script about not unlike what what um, uh, patron the patron wrote in about the the what they wrote in about is the thing I noticed. Um, between my mother and my brother, my older brother Pete is Pete is just one of the one of the loveliest people I, I ever met. He's a really, and he um, at times he's still angry with my mother, and I think you know understandably so. But all it does is evoke um, her defense. My, my mom has dementia now, so I don't think anybody has this conversation with her anymore. Um, and she faces dementia actually with a great deal of humor and grace. Um, that I I. I didn't notice in her bef before that, but she can't 
accept. She could, she, as far as I could tell, she couldn't accept any of that feedback from my brother, and it would just evoke defensiveness. I think it just outmatched her. Like she just, it overwhelmed her and to, to the degree where she couldn't um, let her defenses drop enough to actually hear him. And I think that source of pain and frustration for my brother Pete. I doubt he goes to that well anymore. Though he's still pretty instrumental in her life and her care. Um, and so he sees her uh, a good amount. Well, a good amount, especially care to me. I haven't seen her in probably two years. Um, in part because of COVID, but that's not the whole story. I live out here. He sees her and he's very patient, very supportive. Not perfect, but you know, whatever. Do you think he's like an honest patron here, like going to the well? I think he has been at times. Like in taking care and certain, you know, if I'm a good enough boy, she'll turn around. I wonder, I wonder how much he would do if he felt he had a choice. Yeah. Yeah. And it's tricky with parents. I don't actually know how people do this. You know, like if I lived in Pennsylvania, I would be much more involved in my mother's life and in her care. But I don't know if I would choose it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a weird thing that for many of us, we've we've never done before. Yeah. To take care of your parents. Your parents. Yeah. But most people's parents are getting, they're going to age. Yeah. You know, and... and Decline the way the way the humans are. Yeah, I mean, my parents are doing great. Yeah, and, but you know, but it's just a matter of time. Were they in their seventies? Uh, they're almost eighty. Yeah. The I, I had a client once that um, had this issue where massively sexually abused by her dad oh. for ten years, oh. and mm. as an adult was still. Um, was taking care of him Ugh. and bathing him. Ugh. And did she have a, a response to that? Did that bother her? Yeah, but... Yeah. And from the outside, as her therapist, I thought, and occasionally we would talk about, like, you know you have a choice in the matter, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to do this. And it's... and it. Do you want to do it? Was always my question, and I, yeah. you know, basically implying I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't want to do this. Want to do probably would have been tricky for her, right? Especially and particularly tricky if she didn't want to do it, right? And so she was in this very overt way going back to not only a well that's empty of water, but it's full of hot lava. Yeah, yeah, and continually going there because yeah. of this two-year-old compulsion to return to your caregivers. Mm. You know, two-year-olds don't move out to college and get away from their parents. They mm-hmm. just keep going back. Go back. And when you're that abused, you know, you just, you just keep going back. Yeah. So, uh, I think, you know, and, and I think it's commensurate with how much trauma you've been through. <laughs> like the more trauma you've been through, the more you go back to the well, which is, interesting to hear about you like that you resolved to not at kind of a young age yeah what do you think influenced uh, that? young age probably in my 30s though that's but i'd say I, that's you know relatively yeah yeah why do you think you advanced that quick well in part because i created a family here right that's big that's actually a really big part of it um 
and therapy. Yeah. Being a therapist. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah, probably. Um, and just the diminishment of contact. Mm. I mean, it's all phone calls and those are fairly infrequent. Um, my parents don't call me. They never did. Uh, my mother had a theory that that was my job. Uh, she believed <laughs> that of, of all my sibs though. So, um, um, and I think that was it's really kind of interesting that mm, the whatever her heuristic is around phone calls and what's behind it, but I don't know that she could actually talk about it. Um, anyways, since the ball was in my court, I didn't, I don't, I don't, I don't call very much. Um, so just drifted away. Yeah. So. So, uh, something occurred to me though, about the person that wrote in, Oh, here's what it was. I never said to my dad, here's what I want. Mm. I want you to say you're sorry. And I want to know if I matter to you beyond. Why didn't you tell him? I never thought of it. That, that's why that occurred to me is because I was reflecting on what the patron wrote in. And I wonder if, I wonder if it's clear to mom what daughter wants. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. Um, um, but uh, just uh, what I've noticed in my DBT students when they're learning how to do assertiveness is that they're often very good at describing the events that they're um, to orient the other person. And they're good at expressing their feelings. And they they think that the assertion of what I want is self-evident. Yeah. I think it's just a, I, the words I want are really vulnerable. Right. And so they just sort of omit it and yeah. I I can't tell you how many students I've moved from I would like like the phrase I would like to the phrase I want and everybody's afraid mm-hmm. of those words yeah I also think it has to do with our pre-verbal life that when we were zero to three most of what we wanted was either intuited or communicated by circumstance you know, you're six months old, you cry because you're hungry yeah. or you cry because you're, you know, you, you need to change your diaper or something. Right. And, uh, I think we, depending on our level of relational trauma, we still kind of are hoping for that unconsciously that yeah. people will just know. just know. Uh, so, and it saves us from the vulnerability yeah. because if we're rejected, but not asking that hurts. But if we ask and get rejected, oh. then that's like 10 times worse. Yeah. So I have a lot of clients and have had a lot of clients in this situation that you're describing where um, I will work with them on asking for things. And then they'll often say, well, I feel like I am. And then I say, okay, well, I'll role play it for you. And then I just say, this is, if I were in your shoes, this is what I would say. Mm-hmm. I would say, da, 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 da. And it, you know, it can be a little elaborate because there's a lot of twists and turns sure. to the request. It's not right. just like, I want you to say you're proud of me. Yeah. You know, it's there's a, a fair amount of, caveats and elaboration yep. on that request yeah. that uh, I would say if mm-hmm. I had the the floor, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so clients will sometimes say to me, wow, like when you say it out loud, it really makes a lot of sense to me. Like it wouldn't have occurred to me to even word it that way. But when you, when you say it that way, I realize how important it is and it kind of validates me. And if you hadn't role played it, I don't know if I would have even know known where to begin. So along those lines, Bob, 
if you were to say to your dad um something that you know like you said i I don't think i ever said this is what i want yeah i never did what would you say if i if i were talking to my dad um i would say i want i want to know if you're sorry for what you did i want to know if you ever think about it and if you ever think about the impact that you had on me and my sibs and i want to know if you're open to me having feelings about that because sometimes i would want to talk about that with you um and it might be repetitive to you but i want to know that you're going to be patient and hang in with me even if you've heard it all before like your patience and hanging in with me would be really both valuable and absolutely necessary if i were going to take any chance with you and one of the things that's in it for you if you want decide you want to do that is you and i get to have a relationship that has deeper connection in it without it we're we're going to stay on the surface which is to say for me i like talking to my dad about you know accounting and our businesses he was self-employed i'm self-employed i would have been an accountant if i had a if i hadn't chosen this career that's a career that would have been made me happy and um he that's what he did his entire life and we could talk about that stuff and i think experience a degree of genuine connection with one another that we couldn't if we were talking about pretty much other stuff mostly because we shared common interest and i actually like that too i like it if my dad could learn how to be a listener who waits and also can just take interest in stuff that's not what he's interested in he bit bit nearsighted anyways that's what i would say what do you think you'd say i have no idea i really don't um it's interesting so you never said that no even though it was on your mind a lot i would say that back then it was as you say when you articulate it for your client what you do is you you distill it into words, some, the the thing that's the unthought known, the mm-hmm. thing I know to be true, but I haven't. Voiced. That was true for you back then. It was sort of an, an amorphous yeah. discomfort. Very, very. I knew how to be angry, right? I knew how to be judgmental. Yeah, I didn't know how to do that. <laughs> I knew how to be a little bit venomous, maybe a lot. I don't know. Um, but I didn't know how to say what I what I actually really want. I still have a hard time with that, as you know. Um, I often, to have it articulated for me is often... Helpful. Yeah, elucidating. Because I'm a pretty smart guy, but sometimes I don't, I can't voice my insides. I just uh-huh. can't. I I want to, and I learn learn i'm probably better than i used to be but sometimes i'm in the dark because i just don't know how to focus on and um hold on to what i want especially yeah. in proximity with the other yeah if i was to describe that tell me if this is right sure. it's like being you know you're in the middle of a house that's on fire and someone comes up to you and says like can you describe what this feels like <laughs> You know, you're just like ah! <laughs> choking for air. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, it's, you can't stop and differentiate and reflect yeah. on what's happening for yeah. you. You're you're in the you're inundated. You're drowning. 
Yeah. I learned how to play cribbage in uh, my late 20s. And I used to play cribbage a lot with a good friend of mine. And it was his birthday, and so I made him a cribbage board, which is a lot of drilling. It's a, it's a lot of work. <laughs> so, And I decided, well, if I'm going to make one, I'm going to make two. One for Did him. you use a hand drill? No, I used a Dremel and a, oh. a little drill press. Oh, yeah. a drill press. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, okay. I, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, no, I wanted it to be reasonably straight and even, so I used a drill, but it still was very slow work. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Um, so I made two, and I was back visiting my family, and I brought that cribbage board with me, and the day before I left, I was teaching him how to play. And he was getting the hang of it, but it's not a game that he was going to play beyond hanging out with me for an afternoon or whatever. And I did something really weird. I said to him, you can keep my board, even though it's just going to sit and collect dust and you'll never probably won't play this game unless I'm around. Why did you do that? I think I did it because like with the way the person wrote in is I, I, I wanted something more and I didn't, I hadn't stopped going to that well yet. Yeah. And I remember feeling You're trying to say a lot through something that was not communicating it. And it felt bad actually giving him my board. Cause I really liked that board. I got it back by the way. Yeah. Oh, um, after he died. No, I know. I think I got it back years, years, years ago. Um, and you know, it's not something he ever noticed was gone. I just took it. Yeah. Um, I think well, it was, wow. What a symbol that is right there. How so? Well, that the chasm between you and him at that moment where you're, you know, in this sort of impulsive, desperate yeah. act, yeah. there's, there's this huge meaning oh, and, 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 huge. and hope and, you know, the clouds are parting and you're like, dad, I want you to have this, you know, and in your head, you're like, this is such a gesture. I mean, this thing I work so hard on, I love this thing. It's a big deal. We're, we shared this moment right now. This is like this huge thing. And he's just like, in his head, he's like, uh, okay, thanks. <laughs> and then yeah. drops it in a drawer, doesn't receive any of the intention that you yeah. have. And then you, you know, to get on an airplane, fly back to Seattle crying. Yeah. And feeling bad about giving up that boy. And angry that you gave it to him. Yeah. <laughs> that son of a bitch has my... Yeah my homemade cribbage board. But it was the same dynamic of I give and I don't know if I would say he takes, but I definitely sacrifice. Yeah. That dynamic was old. I mostly stopped doing that. I, no, that's not true. That is actually not true. And I don't think I ever stopped. In conversation, I acted in exactly the same ways that I did when I was four, even up until his passing. And so mostly, you're you're editing your earlier statement yeah, that I'm editing you eventually walked statement. away from the well. Yeah, you never really walked away. I from never it. walked away. Yeah, that's actually that's important. I'm glad we stuck with this because this person deserves candor. I feel really sad right now. I about know. you? Yeah. And the and shit you put yourself through? That and also what this person goes through. Uh -huh. I think... The sadness of keep returning to the well. Yeah. 
please love me. Please hear me. Please see me. I never Please stopped. apologize. Please be proud of me. Yeah. I don't, I didn't never stop. I did stop. Like, I wouldn't have gave him my curbage board in the last 10 years. So like you didn't I pull back. You only went, what would be the analogy? You went to the well, but you didn't sit there for hours, but you still went back. Well, what I did is I spent my time feeling frustrated with the fact that there ain't no water in this well. Oh, okay. You didn't look longingly into the well. You stood at the edge of the well angry. Yep. <laughs> but and you put, still went to the well. Fell, yeah, but still standing here at the well. Do I have a choice? Like that person is that you mentioned that bathed their dad. They didn't. I bet they didn't experience themselves as having a choice. Right. I didn't experience myself as having a choice either. Right. That's kind of what I was getting to earlier because like my experience with this is like it is hard to just say i'm not going to go to that well anymore yeah, it is it's really hard yeah yeah when from the outside it's like stop going to the well right you're beating your head against the yeah. wall knock it off but there's this two-year-old desire that yeah. is ingrained, ingrained. There's, there's no way to get away from it yeah it's just how do you manage it i guess so maybe you manage it better later on you know i don't know i still avoid my mom yeah. Like I think about her every day. I think, really? oh shit, you owe her a phone call. I'm what do you think about? I think, oh shit, you owe her a phone call. Like you feel guilty. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. She left me a voicemail. And so my phone has the number one. It says like you have one message waiting. And uh -huh. it's always there on my phone screen reminding me that I, have, I haven't called her back. How long ago did she call? Oh, that would have been October, uh, maybe September. So Months ago. Months. You haven't listened to the voicemail? No, I never listened to him. I can't stand him. Okay. I, I, this one's three minutes long. I, I cannot. Oh, and then she called again after her birthday. I, I did try to ring her on her birthday. That was a couple weeks ago. Um, and What would we, it be like to just say, I don't really care to talk to her very often? It would be very, very hard. In what way? Um, in the way that... The last time I spoke to her, I actually enjoyed, I talked to her for an hour and I sure. enjoyed talking to her. But what if you're like, you know, if someone, I don't know if this has happened to you because yeah. I could also see this be uh, an issue, but you know, you have someone who wants to be your friend yeah. <laughs> like, and you're like, nah, I don't want to be their friend. Yeah. And they keep calling. Right. And you're just like, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're pursuing me, but nah. Uh, has that ever happened to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had, There's a guy I knew in college who that exact same thing happened. And did you feel okay with that? No. Okay. Terrible. So it's so it's generalized shame. Yeah. And you know how like you're good at, if I don't want to do it, I just don't? Yeah. I'm terrible at that. I love I love saying no to things because it, it means I get to say yes to other things. Well, that's know? true. That's true. Wow, yeah. that's really interesting. I love saying no to things. Yeah. Yeah. Like at work, you know, at the university. Yeah. I, no. I reveled in saying, no, I'm no. not, I'm not participating in that. <laughs> I'm not going to that fucking meeting. <laughs> I'm not going to be on that committee. Uh, I'm not going to do that, that bit of like, uh, you know, there's one of those mandatory sexual harassment trainings Oh yeah. that I'm just going to say, even though I'm a cis hetero dude, I don't need. <laughs> like uh, whatever you know what i have benefited from it and did i benefit from it 20 years ago sure yeah, yeah. uh there were things that i i wasn't born understanding right. about 
gender dynamics at the workplace and what can be received as hurtful or worrisome to to other people. Uh, yeah, and I've learned over time, but I don't need to go to some stupid four-hour training, you know what I mean, and take a stupid test afterwards to to prove, you know. And so, and I also know that the or, that the organization doesn't think I need to do it. They just do that because of insurance reasons or you know suing reasons or something. It's a lawyer thing. It's mm-hmm. not a. It's not like people actually. Th- you know, it's not like my boss thinks I need to go on that training. Yeah. I suppose if your boss thought that, you'd have a whole nother right. problem. She'd just tell me, you know, like, you, you got an issue or, you know, I'm not, it's not a, so I didn't do it. Even though I got multiple emails saying your, you know, your paycheck is going to be taken away from you or something. I'm just like, no, you're not. And no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. There's To say yes to that means I have to say no to 10 other things yeah, I'd rather do. That you'd rather do. That honestly are better for society. You know, like yeah. I, a lot of my life is trying to help people yeah. in, in the world. And uh, if I'm going to be altruistic to the world, I have to say no to this. Yeah. Yeah. I love saying no. Last question. Sure. About this topic. Yeah. Right. How do you like cribbage? I hate that game. Oh, it's fun. You know, a lot of math. Is it? Yeah, well, you know, it's addition. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I played that game for hours and It's hours all luck. It's you and I have played a lot of cards. You and I have played a lot of cards. That's true. We've played, obviously, poker and all the iterations. You've yep. got seven card. Yep, you, yep. you got Jaworski high-low. Right, right. <laughs> you've got five card. Of course, you got stupid Texas Hold'em. We've, sure. we've played Omaha Hold'em. Omaha, yeah. The uh, we've played thir- uh, 13, which is, you know, this South... Uh, Southeast Asian really game, which fun. is just so fun. fun. We've played, you know, Bloody Spades, Sevens and hearts. hearts. All the games I just mentioned, except for uh, Texas Hold'em, involve skill um, and a little bit of luck, of course. Texas Hold'em, ninety-nine percent luck, by the way, in my opinion. Well, for at our level, for sure. But even at our level, because uh, anyway, my point is, is that. With the other games, I feel like there's some gamemanship to it. Like, okay, what do I do here? I have a, I could win with this hand. Do I? You know, what? Are, there are options. You know, sure. with Texas Hold'em, it's like blackjack. You're stupid if you if you don't follow the rules. It's such a reduced game. You know what well, I mean? Yeah, there are certain things to do. To, yes, like um, if you got a, if you got a blackjack? two five and you stay in standard standard. What do they call it with blackjack? Is like standard. I don't protocol. know what they call it, but yeah, there's like if you if you have. If you've got, you know, 17 and yeah. they're showing a six, six, like you're an idiot to take a hit. You don't take a hit. Yeah. Right. And those things increase your odds up to 49%. That's the point. Right. If you follow all the rules, you get yeah. 49% odds of, of winning every right. hand. Which is why people who play blackjack sit at tables and get really frustrated with other people who take hits when they don't, when they shouldn't. Right. Because it, anyway. Yeah. So cribbage is one of those games like <laughs> there's a lot of that in cribbage i hear you it's just like did i get the cards that are going to help me win uh-huh. that's why i don't like that game yeah i think i i i played so many hours of it and had so much thought about it there's a there's a bit more to it there's some oh, psychology there? to it yeah really yeah um because you have to guess like what they're going to put down yeah what what if i play this what am i looking at with that and da, 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 and you know like what are my best odds with the cards that i'm playing yada yada I don't know. and then a lot of it is luck i mean you know like oh okay you just happen to have the right card yeah yeah it's like baccarat you know james bond is always playing baccarat and i'm just thinking 
you can't get any more numbskull of a game than Baccarat. It's so <laughs> luck oriented. Do you know what I mean? Like it, I, you would want it. You'd want him to be playing poker. Yeah. You know, like he should be playing five card. Yeah. Or, or I, I guess Texas. God, I just, I just can't. Well, you know, they it. had a bond with Texas. They did. Yeah. When? Um, Daniel Craig's first. Oh, bond really? Movie. Huh. Okay. Well, because Texas was so popular yeah, at the it time. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And believe God. me, the the game, it's awful to watch. Yeah. Like, because it's clearly... Bond. The Bond uh, representation. The the actual card game in the movie is just awful. Right. Meaning they don't they didn't know what they were doing. They should have consulted with someone who knew what they were doing. They made it so that everybody had the ideal hand. It's just the next guy over had a slightly more ideal hand than this guy. Oh. And the next guy over. And the next guy. So it goes from a full house to four of a kind to a higher four of a kind to a royal flush. Uh, to a straight flush to a royal flush. And they actually got those cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From, and everybody's on from one, one hand. From one deck. From one, de- from one hand, from one deck. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's really That's bad. literally probably never happened in the history of Texas Hold'em. You no, know what I mean? Would it ever? It, the, the odds of that happening yeah. are just so astronomical. Just, just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, that's funny. So, uh, I think another reason why I have such a, um, such a anger towards Texas Hold'em is that you and I, with all our friends, we used to play poker all the time. Oh, we, played, we, we played three times a week. And we played all the games I mentioned, yeah. and it was so fun. Yeah, it was and really we fun. had a blast. Oh, and yeah. you know, occasionally there'd be a someone get bent out of shape, but sure. but it was all in good fun, and and mm-hmm. it was great. And then Texas Hold'em oh, became yeah. popular. Yeah, and the the wave of Texas Hold'em. I mean, I don't know if you remember, like it, mm. a year. I don't know, maybe two thousand or something. Yeah, that's about right. Um, suddenly, like regular suburbanites were playing Texas oh. Hold'em. Everybody was playing Texas. Yeah, and we would get invited to the games. Yep. And we would clean up because they didn't know what they were doing, you know. But at the same time, it just felt like it became, it just lost all of its It's not fun. fun. Yeah. It's just not a fun game. It's not fun. It's work. It's It's like the games we would play, if you lost, you would be like, it was more like, oh, man. Yeah. Darn, right. you know, but with Texas, you lose. You just feel like you you did something wrong. Yeah. I, maybe that's what it is. I feel like when I lose at Texas, I did something wrong. Like I didn't do the thing right. The standard. Whatever. When I lost in the other games of poker, I don't even think I thought about it. I just think yeah. I thought, well, what are you going to do? I yeah. made choices, and that happened. You know, how was I supposed to know right. that he actually had right. a six low? You know, a six four, yeah. Instead of a six five, and I six had five? a six five. So of, of course, course I, I went to the end because right. you know, did I think? Did I think he actually had? And he had a six four. Yeah, that's amazing. Four. You know? That's awesome. Yeah, and and they would, but that would be the one time that happened because that was the one time we played right. low, you right. know, seven card low or something. And yeah, and but when you play hold him, I don't know. Oh, just, it's such a long evening. It's so boring. Yeah, because you know you're in. You wait. You're in maybe four hands an hour, and otherwise you're just folding. Right. Which is just... And that's the right way to play. That's the right way to play. You're playing... And four games an hour, it's probably a lot. Yeah. Especially the way that, you know, some of our more ancillary friends play poker because they take so freaking long. (laughs) It's like, snap to it, pal. Yeah, this week could be done here in an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, yeah. and that's why I liked Omaha because that was so much more. Oh yeah, random. There's a lot. And it's a holdem. It's a holdem game, right? It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. For people who don't even know poker, they're like, "What are you talking?" Well, and about? why are you talking about it? Let's do a couple more, Bob. Let's make this one a long one. Let's make it a long one. Yeah. Uh, anonymous patron, she says, I've been in individual therapy for six years and in group therapy for five. Wow. I completed my individual therapy, but some of my issues still persist. For example, social and performance anxiety, fear of abandonment, and dealing with impulsivity. The issues are not as extreme as before therapy, but I feel very sad that I will always take this with me. How do I come to terms with my quote-unquote illness and the fact that I will never be quote-unquote normal? All my life, I have been trying to be like everyone else, and now I realize this will never happen. Bob, what do you think? Oh, well, I, you know, I think you can, I am forever going to chip away at the things that are gumming up my brain. I'm just going to chip away at that. And I, you know what, I'll be honest with you, I just don't care. Because what I really want is to build a life worth living. And I can. I can build a life worth living. And if chipping away is the best I can do, then so be it. I don't feel hopeless about it. I don't feel sorry for myself. I don't feel like I've been ripped off just because the things that happened to me. Like I don't look at my life and compare it to yours or anybody else's and say, oh, you had the good one and I had the bad one. And what was me? I think you and me talked about this a couple weeks ago. I never feel that way. I can extract joy out of this, satisfaction out of this. And I'll... uh, I am going to chip away. Yeah. Well, what else would I do? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's kind of the thing. It's like, what else are you going to do? Like, yeah. either you stay you static or get worse, or you chip away at it. Yeah. I mean, that that's two choices, you know? And when I think about where I've been, like, like me and Colleen, 16 years, I didn't know anything about myself until I met myself in my relationship with her. Mm. And the things that I discovered, I never would have found out on my own, I don't think. Um, and yet I'm very, very glad to know them. And they're not all pretty, and they're not easy. And with her, I get a shot at working with them. Uh, did you ever reach a point where you had to face what an honest patron is facing, where it's like, wait, so I'm always going to... Even though I've been through therapy, yep. I'm gonna go. Yep. I'm all. I'm never going to recover completely. Yes. When was that? About three and a half years ago, on an episode of Psychology in Seattle, <laughs> where my good friend said to me, "The best you can hope for, Bob, is probably something like preoccupied, insecure attachment style." Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. What a great best friend you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, and the, you know what? Actually, it was really cool because what it did is it relieved me of um, chasing windmill. Yeah. Uh, tilting at a windmill, right? Is that what that is? Yeah. Yeah. Don Quixote with a lance. You tilt your lance at a windmill because you think, anyway, right? Isn't yeah. that what you're referring I, to? I don't know. I just know the expression, but I don't know where it comes from. Yeah. Yeah. So it relieved me of that. And now I get to live a life where a lot of the pressure's off. Like, I'm a little crazy. Yeah. But before that, we talked, it had, you still 
were holding out for complete recovery or I didn't even think about it. I just presumed that was the mountain I were climbing yeah. and I didn't know when I was going to get there. Right. Because, and I used to think this way too. Uh, I th- that's a premise that's in our society and in our yeah. industry that yeah. with enough therapy, yeah. the right therapy. And if you meaningfully participate, then there'll be this point you'll get to where you no longer have the problem. Yeah. And in some instances, that's true. Like if you have a phobia of bridges, you, that's awesome. You can you can actually get to a point where you, you literally have no fear of bridges, right? Uh, but when it comes to attachment disorganization, there's no way that you're going to rewire everything. You yeah. know, maybe if we lived to be 500 years old, maybe I could see that. But we don't live long enough, and I think that I realize that rather slowly with my clients and with myself. You know, I I have problems and I had this, I remember, I think it's kind of a youth idea. Maybe it's an American youth idea mm-hmm. that like mm-hmm. I will, you know, work hard and then there'll be, be this threshold and I'll walk through the door and yep. I'll be on the other side. Yes, exactly. You know? I think it even applies to even broader things like career. You know, I'll I'll earn enough money and I'll own a home and I'll, and then I can relax. You know, there's this, there's this idea that I think the American dream or something, you know, whereas other cultures will say like the suffering never ends. My friend, (laughs) like if you think that suffering ends, uh, that creates more suffering. So knock it off. And I say to my clients sometimes, well, good therapy is when you trade in a bad set of problems for a better set of problems. Yeah. And that's what good therapy is. And they all look at me like, don't, don't tell me that. But Right. And, and, and people even write in and get angry at me about when I say stuff like this yeah. along these lines. And I get it. You know, yeah. I, I'm the bearer of bad news, I right. guess. But I think I'm the liberator of beating your head against the wall and shaming yourself. You know, just, yeah. just accept that this is your thing. You know, for you, Bob... The, even the amount of you know, the amount of awesome work that you're doing in therapy with a therapist that is perfectly designed for your disorganized attachment uh, corrective experience. Mm-hmm. You have a wife that you, as a therapist, have worked a lot with explicitly on this issue. Yeah, and if you keep doing that, and you know, on the planet, I'm guessing there's a there's a chance that you are the best worker on self on this issue on the planet i mean do you ever i never thought about that there there that is possible Possible. you know what i mean like given your issue there's a possible there's a possibility you are the best out of you know eight billion people Mm -hmm. and say half a billion have your issue uh you're the best out of all those people because i you know given your place and culture and your age or whatever yeah a lot of good fortune yeah and by the time you're 85, uh, you'll still be suffering yeah. <laughs> weekly, you know, yeah. daily, even yeah. maybe uh, you'll have chipped away at it. And th- there'll be more wisdom and more forgiveness of self and others or uh, different patterns, maybe different coping, you know, little interrupts in your system that will derail, you know, the dis- self-destruction. But you'll still be um feeling scared of closeness, feeling distrustful of others, feeling extra hurt by little things that Colleen says or something, you know, Um, 
desperation for validation of, of you know, it's we all have this, but sure. you have it say more so given your traumatic history. And, and so, uh, you know, I realize that that's, you know, it's, that's depressing to some because you've been sold a bill of goods. That isn't true. I mean, that, I'm just, we're just telling you the reality. If you want to be angry, don't be angry at us, be angry at whoever gave you the impression uh-huh. that that wasn't true. Yeah. Right. We could have been telling everyone this from the beginning, you know? Yeah. But you've been sold a bill of goods, and and I get it. I also get the grief process of like, wait, so I have to grieve mm-hmm. a future that I always wanted. Mm-hmm. I always thought was. I thought if I did the work, if I went to therapy, if I did, I thought that I would achieve that. And you're you have to grieve that. You have to say like, I'm never going to get that. That's just that's sad. But I can improve, and I can eke out less suffering. <laughs> you know, I mean. And they knew this way back in the day, you know, psychoanalysts and object relationists would talk about how to become mature is to become slightly depressed about just how lonely life is, <laughs> you know, just how how truly alone we are as humans. You know, even if we're connected, we're still basically alone. Didn't Freud say something like gallows humor is the height of maturity? <laughs> yeah. I don't remember that, but that sounds like what he would say, right? <laughs> and and so uh, it's it's been recognized, and of course, existentialists and Buddhists have known this for yeah. centuries, right? Uh, and they obviously thought about it a lot, <laughs> you know, they really and investigated it a lot. So yeah, that's true. Now, again, this doesn't mean that you can't have five minutes of glorious closeness with your spouse or your pet or your parents or yourself. Doesn't mean you can't have a few months of relative happiness, um, but it, but it also means that you're going to get triggered and you're going to go down a road in your mind, and there's going to be some bad months. And uh, chipping away at it is is all we can do. And uh, so, anonymous patron, you know, you're that's where you're. I think you're at. You're like, wait. You know, you say the issues are not as extreme as they were before I was in therapy, right. but I feel sad that this will always be with me. You know, I'll never be quote unquote normal. And on that level, you know, there is no version of normal that people propose. I mean, Bob, yeah. can you think of a single person who doesn't have like some significant relational traumas and some and are on some personality disorder spectrum? No, everybody's a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has, I would say, significant relational and attachment injuries and defenses thereof. Like, I don't know a single person who can freely be vulnerable, can freely hear other people without being threatened, can freely uh, be criticized maybe by their spouse without having a a destructive response, at least initially. Um, I don't. I don't know anyone who doesn't have a self-destructive coping mechanism like everybody I know. Yeah. So you've also been sold a bill of goods, uh, honest patron that normal means lack of suffering. And I know it looks that way, you know, like when we're suffering and we're, I do this when I'm driving around town and I just see people going about their day. I'm just like, fuck you for not having my problems. You look like you're happy. Fuck off. Yeah. You know, it, it, it looks that way. 
it is not that way. It's one of the things about being a therapist that really kind of helped me was I was like, yeah. oh, I bet you anything you look like someone on the street that looks like you've got it all together. Right. You don't have anything together. Yeah. <laughs> like you are a a wild train wreck of a mess. There's you know what I mean? Backstage. Yeah. yeah. Like, and then I learned, Oh, everyone's like that. Yeah. The most put together people who have like everything going for them. Mm-hmm. The couples that look like they've got everything yeah. going for them. Right. No one is happy all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no one is not self-destructing. So, uh, at least part of the time. So yeah, that's another uh, lie. And it doesn't anyone any good to to lie in that way or believe it. I wonder if the person that wrote in has a static view of whatever anxiety looks like, like it's going to look like this forever. Mm, Who knows what your relationship with anxiety is or, and what it's going to look like in 10 years. Um, It'll, it'll likely be different, especially if you're a chip away or two. And like, if we could go back 20 years for you, what would and you were and I we were to tell you, look, this is never going to end. Like you're always going to be suffering. What version of the future would you be distorted about? I don't, I don't, I'm not quite sure. I get the <laughs> well, five years ago, yeah. If you know the prospect of Bob, no matter how much therapy you're going to go through, um, the best you can do is preoccupied. Sure. Um, that kind of like. <gasps> And then that pain of like, shit, that's probably true. That's, that's a bummer. Um, the bummer is kind of partially based on a vision of the future that, that might be more dire than it, than it seems. Yeah. So what would you tell yourself? Like, no, 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 this is what it, it'll be like. What would you say? Um, I'd say that what you tell yourself it'll look like is far worse than what it actually is. Like what's an example? Oh, um, oh, that's a great question. What's an example of something I would have told myself? Oh, well, let's see. You're going to learn something. You're going to learn that you believe that you are your utility and that's all you are. And you're going to learn how to pay attention to what you want more so. And you'll get a little bit better at it. And you'll notice that sometimes you're actually able to get what you want and um, you'll like that. Yeah. Yeah. I would also add that by releasing desire for something that'll never happen. Right. Like a lot of the suffering goes away. Yes. Not, not the most of it, but some of the suffering goes yeah. away. You know, just welcoming in like man i got issues <laughs> and it's actually really comforting to me to sit here and think about the things that i struggle with and to remind myself that of course i struggle with that yeah. and that is part of what it is and it sort of like relieves me of some of the shame and guilt that i feel for being a person of issue even though you're number one in terms of <laughs> awareness and recovery i'm saying this because even you need to be reminded yeah yeah you'll go yeah so where do you go what you know you're you're being reminded where are you coming from where are you what are you merging out of what what distorted mindset oh um you mean like this last week of my life Mm -hmm. well um not a fighting at home 
a um, lot of um, triggers lately, and I, I, what's the question? Well, right now you're being reminded of something that's helpful. Yes. What it, and you articulated it, but right. what did that reminder pull you out of? What mindset? Oh, when I think back on the last week and I feel crappy about it, in part because of the things that I contribute, and and also the pain that I that I've been through in the last week, being reminded that I'm a person who has troubles with you know relationship, is like relieving of both my disappointment and my shame. Like it contextualizes it of yeah. just like, oh like, yeah. Fuck it. This is who I am. Another way to put it is it was a week in November <laughs> of my life, of yeah. my life, and given next, my given my ongoing issues. And next November might not be any prize either because it's a particularly dif- difficult time of year. Yeah. yeah. For you and Colleen. For me and Colleen. Yeah. And it's not. Um, I mean, so I and I think this I don't I don't know what you want to get into, Bob, because we've talked about it off the air. But sure. I imagine, and I've been there too, of just like, you know, you're in the midst of it. Maybe the midst lasts a month, but it's, you're in the midst. Right. And it just feels like, no, 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 no. This time it's different. Yeah. When in reality, it's not different. It's the same. It's the same. Yeah. (laughs) You've been through it before. It doesn't mean you have to put up with it. It doesn't mean you have to stay in the relationship, but it does contextualize it of there's really nothing special about this horrible feeling you're feeling. It's, you know, you're a special, unique, wonderful person, but, but there's nothing particular about this. It's just, it's just that thing again. Yeah. It's that thing again. And that is comforting to you? Yeah. How so? Well, recognizing it's that thing again gives a person a little bit of wiggle room from it. Like the the other day, that thing again started to get the better of both of us. And I stopped our conversation before it got. It you differentiate okay. from the thing. Yeah, you're outside the thing. Right, the thing isn't me. Right, the things over there. Yeah, this thing is actually happening to you and me right now, as opposed to you and me are having a conversation like where we actually have something we need to exchange, some yeah. kind of exchange between us. Actually, no, this is just the thing. Right, and it took about five minutes. Yeah, of us both accepting that. It's happening. Almost like the thing isn't real. It's, it's something that you believe. And if yeah. it's like believing in Santa Claus, the right. more you believe in it, like the movies, they always like, we need to get people to believe in Santa Claus. Right. And I'm always like, well, how did people fall out of belief with Santa Claus? If he, if he's coming down the chimney and give and magically giving you gifts, how did anyone not believe? And if you can do that, then you could probably, anyway, point is, is that if you believe in the problem, as being yeah. what it's telling you. It's right. just like you're doomed, you're yep. a terrible person, yep. the other person is a terrible yep. person. Yep. Yep. Then that then it becomes that, and it kind of perpetuates it, it right? Perpetuates. Because you, you end up operating from that place. From, yep. Whereas if you're like, oh, no, no, this is just a thing. Yep. It's a thing, and it's suffering, and we're triggering, but but it's a thing that is inevitable to some extent. And, yeah. and it just it happens. You yeah. Know? <laughs> like... It's a part of life. It's like the weather, you know, it's rain. Sometimes it rains, sometimes it's sunny. And, you know, no sense like crying yourself to sleep every night because it's raining. It's like, you know, just clouds coming. It's the rain. 
Is that, I don't know if I'm describing it. No. Yeah, that's true. The, the idea that the thing itself actually wants me to believe in it. You know, the thing itself actually does. It wants, it loves itself and it wants to keep itself going. And there's the whole, you know, anger, shame thing that goes along with it. And, um, it's just a thing. Yeah. It's just a thing. It's fucking, it's fucking compelling when it happens. Yeah. It's still a thing. I was in the middle of it last Tuesday. It was really bad. And I, it happened to coincide with when I had my own personal counseling and it only took about 10 minutes for my body to calm enough and for me to remember something that, and that made me feel soft towards Colleen. Yeah. And that's really useful. And that's one of the best things I get out of going to personal counseling is, um, that kind of reminder. But your therapist didn't remind you of that swissly. No, 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 not, no, he didn't, he didn't do it by, well, remember this, Bob, remember, remember you've been here before and right now he was just actually talking to me about what's happening now. He was literally talking to me about what's happening now between you and him. Actually. Yeah. He said to me, do you want to pay attention to not so much? I mean, we can talk about the fight if that's what you want, but do you want to pay attention to what's happening between us and our connection? And you know what? I realized I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be in therapy. I didn't want to talk to him. I felt just ashamed and talking, telling him about that. I always tell people, tell your therapist. Well, actually, tell him. I, I do. I, I told him. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is what it's like to be in front of you right now. And um, it's from that that my softer feelings emerged, not from any kind of... Towards like, your wife as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it accessed some, what, mode or... Yeah, mode. I guess that's a good way to think about and it. And it's shifted your yeah. heart. Yep. It, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And as a consequence, your orientation towards Colleen changed. Right. Huh. And then it didn't get worse. Huh. That was a hard day, but it didn't get worse. Perhaps less isolated, Bob. I'm trying to encourage Bob to not be as isolated when he's suffering. I texted <laughs> I. E. calling me. Yeah. 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 Bob was suffering and he was texting me and Yeah. And I was like, okay, him. let's talk, you know, let's talk today. Right. I'm I'm and I'm off work in a couple hours or whatever and right. then and he didn't call and I I thought, well, he's probably busy, you know, with other things. Yeah. Yeah. This happened a few times over the it past did. week and then um when we talk today, you're just like, well, I think I was, all right. You said, you know, you were yeah, isolated. I was totally isolated. It wasn't, you weren't doing anything else. You were just yeah. like turtling. Yeah. Turtling. Yeah. And, and probably to more suffering. Right. Although to reach out would also create its own suffering. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, painful for, but, but, um, no, it's, um, yeah. To more suffering. Yeah. Because when you and me talk, I get some relief from it. Yeah. Yeah. Nah. And a bit of and a bit of perspective because it wants to take over and tell me this is how it is. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Right? And you know, you're pretty matter of fact about that. How so? Oh, that's that thing you go through, Bob, essentially. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, for the record, that probably wouldn't be what I would no, say. No, you don't say those words and you you would never be dismissive like that. But um, you have... You I know, wouldn't be like, you're right, Bob. She is a horrible person. Yeah, yeah, right. right. 
no, no, you would never do that. But just, but just because of you know your willingness and your attention and your care about me, that that has the possibility of emerging. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have a magical no. thought that somehow talking with me would have solved all your problems. But, no, but. I don't know. You to me, I'm like, tried. if you're suffering, you might as well be with someone else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, why be alone? You wouldn't have tried to actually make it all better. Yeah. Thanks. Well, you're welcome. I know, I know, right. It yeah, didn't happen. Yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> Thanks for that thing that you didn't get a chance to do because I didn't follow through. Well, you know, you're thanking me for the intention, and I... I yeah, uh, that's I, true. You're welcome, you know, because, you know, you've been there for me mm. and would have if I... You know. Oh yeah. So, and you know, I do this with Birdo. You know, us men, and maybe just people in general. It's mm-hmm. like we can do things on our own, and uh, and it's like what? So, B- Birdo and I have a lot of health anxieties, mm-hmm. and so we resolved to, uh, especially if we end up in the hospital, that we would call each other. Oh wow! Yeah, because we've both had that experience and just like hunkered down and didn't reach out to anyone, you know? And, uh, so maybe you and I can go on a pact like that. I mean, I don't know if you're interested in like when you're suffering, like don't as a policy, don't, don't just hole up. And I mean, you can talk, talk to anyone, me included, but don't, but don't just do nothing, you know, uh, and sit in your own pain, you know? I think you're the person I'd be most likely to call. Okay. Yeah. But I, I don't need you to call me. I'm no, available, I, you're, of course. Not about, you can call right. anyone. Just sure. call someone. Somebody. If, that's the policy. Like Understood. you got to yeah. You got to call someone, and, and <laughs> if it if it's anyone, it's it could be me. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you're always home. <laughs> I am. Especially these days. Yeah. Um. And again. The listeners are like, wow, I really respect Bob. He's a genius. He's a therapist. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows what he's talking about. And he suffers too and shames himself into isolation, doesn't reach out. I mean, what are you always saying? Talk about Talk it. Talk about it. And then when you're suffering, you mm-hmm. self-destructively don't. Yeah. And that's normal. You know, it the, for various reasons, shame, yeah. uh, just wanting to forget about it maybe yeah um mostly shame okay yeah shame like shame of what like that you're gonna i don't think you would judge me um but what is it it's like it's just embarrassing yeah yeah which i guess no i don't think that's the same as me thinking you're gonna judge me it's just embarrassing yeah it's embarrassing too um because our society says that you're supposed to yeah. Not fight as a couple, you know, but all couples fight. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, but it's interesting that you're not a because sh- you told me you just texted me. I did out of the blue a few times. A number That's times. true. Um, so you're not ashamed to text me, but you are ashamed to talk to me. Isn't that, isn't that a thing? I mean, that's just artifice, but yeah. Like, what's that about? Is it like less involved to text? There's less contact. Yeah. Yeah. To talk would be more more, invo- more involved. Yeah. Did you text other people? I'm just no. curious. You just texted me about yeah. it. Okay. 
That's interesting. That's good to know because, I mean, I don't know if that's what will happen in the future, but I was wondering, I'm like, I wonder if he's texting others because if he's texting others and talking to others, then then I'll feel better for him. Yeah. But if he's only texting me and he's not talking with me or anyone, yeah. then I'm much more worried about him. So that was true. Yeah, that was true. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. It was a heck of a week. Yeah. <laughs> so we talked about it before we yeah. went on the air. We've right. sort of talked about it now. How do you feel now? Oh, um, embarrassed. Um, hopeful that there's something in here that's useful to the person that wrote in or maybe another listener. Um, looking forward to going home and having a beer with Colleen. Kind of missing her right now. Even though I, I mean, I just came from home. Um, missing good time with her, yeah. relaxing time. Yeah. And then, um, despite embarrassment, really appreciative of you and our friendship. Hmm. Yeah, good. I mean, I, I'll cry with you this time, Bob, <laughs> but I love you. And I, it kills me that you're in pain when you're in pain. I love you too. Yeah. I mean, it, it kills me because you're such a good person and you didn't deserve what you went through when you were young. Mm -hmm. And that's why this is happening, you know? Yeah. And it's just, it just breaks my heart, you know? It's, and cause you've worked so hard with Colleen and, yeah, and true. she's worked hard oh, too. Yeah, she has. And you've looked a long time for her, you know, before you met her. And, that's true. And it's, it's just, it's just fucking tragedy that you, would have weeks like that. It's so unfair. It's funny. The way you think about it is having weeks like that. Like it's just a flat road and that's part of what you get when you drive that flat road. And I often think about it like it's like a mountain. And if I don't climb it, then I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to get anywhere. I'm not You've had a lot of weeks like that. Oh yeah. No, it's true. I've known about some of them. Yeah. A minority of them, I'm guessing. Yes, and uh, it's just um, it's just so unfair. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like I wish that you could have like just a a year. Oh wow! Of none of those weeks. <laughs> oh jeez. You know. Yeah. Just like a year of just like none of those weeks. I'd like a weekend. That'd be all right. <laughs> Good weekend. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, to everyone out there who has those weeks, yeah. um, mm. we were with you. I feel sad about that. Yeah. You know, and think about them. Like, they haven't, some of them haven't even been to therapy before, yeah. or they don't have access no. to it. Or, right. You know, there's they're still going to those wells and not getting anything. They're still yeah. terribly ashamed. Mm-hmm. Maybe and, suffering alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, they don't have 
friends to talk to about it or some, you know, it's, um, it, yeah, it's it's such a tragedy or, and some people don't even know how they feel, right. Cause they're, cause they're so elementary about that. You know, they've never been allowed to explore their own feelings. So they, they just, they just, they they don't even have the ability to articulate, you know, what's happening. Just a notion that something ain't right or right. And or the midst of self-destruction of alcoholism or something, you know, and yeah, it's just, um, you know, if there is an afterlife and there is a just God, all y'all will have, you know, some, you know, as a kid, I was told there was heaven and there was this notion of like those who suffer get the most in heaven. Those who, you know, like Jesus suffered a lot. So he gets, he gets the most, you know? And so for people like you, in my head, it's this golden city. And at the top of the hill are, is this series of very expensive mansions and you get those mansions and people like me live in the, live in the slums of heaven. Oh my God. Which is fine. I mean, it's still heaven. Yeah. But, but I didn't suffer as much as you did. And so you, you know, you get more that, that was, that's the vision I always had in my head. When you were a kid. Yeah. So if there is a God and there's an afterlife and there is a just God and heaven happens to be a golden city in the clouds, I'd like to think that you, you get a mansion on the hill. Thanks. Did you ever hear that one about heaven and hell? Uh, guy dies. I, I don't know this whole story. I'm going to get it wrong, but I'll probably botch it a bit, but it's pretty cool. And he's uh, being escorted down a hallway, and there's a door, and his escort says, in there is hell. Go ahead, open it up, take a look. And there's a person in there alone with a spoon and a bowl of soup, and the spoon is like 10 feet long, and they can't get the soup to their mouth. Mm. And he says, that's hell. Now that room over there, that's heaven. Go ahead, take a look in there. And there's two people in there, and they both have a spoon that's 10 feet long, Hmm. and they're feeding one another. Hmm. That's heaven. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, such a different, just one little change. One little change. (laughs) Changes the whole thing. Yeah. To a fun 10-foot spoon soup game. Maybe when you show up in heaven, they give you a 10-foot spoon and you get to walk down the hall and pick your room or something. (laughs) Yeah. So call me next time. I'll call you next time. (laughs) All right. That does it for that episode. Everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it.